Hello again, my friends. It must be nice to have a familiar voice greet you on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Just in case you've forgotten, I am Blaine the Brain, and you are listening to the Royal Ramble. Well, it's been a challenging couple of weeks for yours truly. I tell you that COVID thing is no joke, but I am back and ready to go, almost at 100%, but at least I got my voice back, and that's really all that matters in this particular scenario. I hope you've all had a wonderful holiday season and that many of you have enjoyed a bit of time off, perhaps taken some vacations. Whatever the case may be, if you're anything like me, you've still been paying attention to everything that's been going on in the world of wrestling. And with that, I have to ask, what in the world is going on? I mean, I've only been out of action for two weeks, and I hear that not only is Vince McMahon back on the board of directors in the WWE, but also prepping the company for sale? How long have I been asleep? What year is this? I've heard there have been several potential bidders throwing their names in the race, not only including the Saudi investment fund, but also the Khan family that is currently preoccupied running another wrestling company. If I had it my way, I'd prefer to keep the business with the family, and I'm still holding out hope that Hunter and Stephanie end up buying it, but in reality, whoever wants to run it the most has to pay the most, which unfortunately may put the Saudis at the front of the line. But I'm not going to cry over spilt milk just yet, as rumors will continue circulating until an official announcement is made, so let's not dwell on it. In fact, let's start the first ramble of 2023 off on a positive note and talk about Impact Wrestling. The company made a huge splash in 2022 and made some drastic changes to their roster, their creative direction, and their overall production value and marketability. Did that carry over into 2023? Well, they held their first big show of the year last Friday the 13th, a bold move for sure, but I'd say they had a pretty strong show overall. It was hard to kill from Atlanta, Georgia, with some very hot angles heading into it. Let's take a look, shall we? The show started off in a very classy way, as most of the roster filled the top of the stage to pay tribute to one of their fallen brothers and impact legend Don West with a 10-bell salute, which was a nice gesture, and honestly, I'd have expected nothing less. Now, I talked a little about the improvements the company has made in the last year. One of those was their overall production value, which is usually on point, but I don't know what it was. Something just didn't seem to click on Friday. They had a few minor production slip-ups, but nothing that really interfered with the rest of the show. I thought the opening video was well done, but the actual intro to the show could have been a little smoother. The show got underway in very surprising fashion, with the world title match right off the bat. It was Josh Alexander defending against Bully Ray in a Full Metal Mayhem match, which is basically TLC, only this match can only be won by pinfall or submission, which I think kind of defeats the purpose of the latter stipulation. Before the match started, Bully Ray seemed to be getting a little frustrated with the crowd reaction he was getting, so he just left the arena and headed to the back before Josh even came out. But then, of course, when Josh made his entrance, Bully returned and sneak attacked Alexander from behind. I am begging this and every other wrestling company to not make your baby faces look so dumb. Eventually, someone will get this right. Bully attacks Josh with his own title belt, which ends up busting him wide open early. And if anyone knows about Busted Open, it's Bully Ray. Back in the ring, Bully breaks through his first table by powerbombing Alexander right through it. At this point, the cheese grater comes into play, but Josh fights back and delivers a flying attack with the grater to the head of Bully Ray, which busts the challenger open as well. 
Alexander then unloads a bag of thumbtacks in the middle of the ring. The fight spills into the entranceway where a ladder is set up. Alexander starts to climb, but Bully ends up tipping the ladder over, causing Alexander to fall backwards into the ring, landing on the pool of tacks. Alexander comes back and wraps a chain around his knee to deliver a flying knee strike off the middle buckle. He then applies the ankle lock, but also wraps the chain around Bully's neck to add even more pressure. At this point, Jason Hotch and John Schuyler run out to attack Alexander. For those who haven't been following, these guys have become lackeys of Bully Ray in recent weeks. They end up zip-tying Alexander's wrists to the top rope, and Bully brings in a trash can. Before he can use it, though, Tommy Dreamer comes out. He disposes of Skyler and Hotch in the entranceway and then comes into the ring to confront Bully as Bully had physically destroyed Dreamer a couple of weeks ago on Impact. At this point, I'm thinking this match couldn't be more overbooked, and this is feeling more like an angle than a match, but I don't want to jump the gun because it does get even more overbooked than this. Dreamer confronts Bully, who just smiles at him and hands Dreamer the trash can. Dreamer teases hitting Alexander, but suddenly turns and nails Bully with the can. He then attempts the Spicoli driver to Bully on the tax, but Bully fights free and spears Dreamer through a corner table. Bully then beats Alexander over the head a couple of times with the trash can, and I cringed after each one as they were clearly unprotected. Suddenly, Alexander's wife, Jen, who wrestles under the name Jade Chung, comes out to the ring, although the announcers called her by her real name. She steps in between Bully and her husband and pleads with Bully to back off. Bully then starts threatening her and demands that he, she takes off her wedding ring and give it to him. Jen starts to comply, but then delivers a low blow to Bully. She follows that up by hitting the Dudley dog out of the corner. Josh finally gets free and uses a chair to smack another chair that Bully is holding right back into his face. Josh then sets Bully up on the table in the ring and leaps off the ladder in the entranceway with a huge splash to Bully through the table, and I totally bid on this as the finish, but Bully ends up kicking out. Alexander quickly applies the ankle lock, which forces Bully into submission, and the champ retains. I was a little surprised at this outcome, but I guess that it may mean that Bully is done with impact for now. Nikki James is shown backstage with her friend Tara, or Victoria for those who may be unfamiliar with that name. Tara gives her some words of encouragement before her match, and then Raven steps in. For those who don't know, Mickey's first role in the business was as part of Raven's group The Gathering in Impact Wrestling, along with CM Punk and Julio De Niro. Raven says he doesn't know if this will be the end for Mickey, but he just wants to be a part of it, and wishes Mickey the best of luck. The four-way elimination match is up next for the Impact Tag Titles, featuring defending champions the Motor City Machine Guns, the team of Brian Myers, or Kurt Hawkins, and Matt Cardona, or Zack Ryder, now collectively known as the Major Players, Rhino and Heath, as in Heath Slater, and the Bullet Club team of Ace Austin and Chris Bay, fresh off their run in New Japan. The referee has a hard time maintaining control in the early going, as all eight guys pair off in a huge brawl. Eventually, Rhino and Myers start the contest in the ring, and the first elimination happens minutes later, as Myers rakes the eyes of Rhino, and then his partner Cardona schoolboys the man-beast from behind to eliminate Heath and Rhino. The major players are the second team eliminated, as Bullet Club does some double-teaming of their own, and Austin gets the pin on Cardona after the fold. The final few minutes of the match were very exciting between Bullet Club and the Machine Guns. 
but then Myers and Cardona run back out to distract Bullet Club. It was kind of weird that heels are distracting heels, but this allows the guns to hit the Dirt Bomb, which is basically a double-teamed one-winged angel on Bay to retain their belts. Immediately following the match, Frankie Kazarian comes out to the ring. He says that if you don't stand up for yourself, no one else will, and then adds that he signed a long-term contract with Impact Wrestling, and that this is the start of his rise to the top. Moose versus Joe Hendry was up next for the Digital Media Championship held by Hendry. You know, I absolutely despise Hendry's gimmick. It feels very cheesy and stupid, and the Digital Media title is basically the company's 24-7 title. But overall, I thought this match was quite enjoyable, and Hendry is actually a pretty good in-ring performer. He displayed some impressive power moves in the match, including a walking vertical suplex on the outside, which I don't think I've ever seen before, and then a military press slam to Moose over the top rope to the floor. He then drills Moose with a clothesline that knocks him for a loop, and Moose basically did a full 360 flip, or 270 or whatever it was. Henry follows that up with a pop-up powerbomb for a near fall. Moose then tries to use the belt, but the ref catches him, and as the ref goes to put the belt away, he delivers a low blow to Henry and then spears him to win the belt. But it doesn't end there, because then Santino Morella comes out. Remember him? He introduces himself as the new director of authority for Impact and orders that this match is to be restarted, because he doesn't like cheaters. Moose tries for another spear, but Henry avoids him, and Moose crashes into the buckle. Henry then loads Moose up for another power move called the Standing Ovation, which is basically a one-armed spinebuster for the win. They air footage from the countdown show of the X Division number one contenders match where Kenny King ends up costing Speedball Mike Bailey the match. Kenny King then cuts a live promo backstage saying that Bailey is too focused on wrestling, but on Thursday in the fight pit, it's going to be a fight. Isn't that WWE's gimmick? Anyway, that leads to the four-way number one contenders match for the knockouts title, and unlike the tag match, this one will not be an elimination bout, so the first pinfall or submission wins. It was Deanna Perrazzo against Killer Kelly against Taylor Wilde, who apparently now has a witch gimmick, against Masha Slamovich. There was a pretty cool sequence in the early going as Deanna hits a baseball slide to Masha and Kelly on the outside, which Taylor follows up with a dive through the ropes onto the other three. Deanna then hits a springboard crossbody off the middle buckle to the floor, and then Masha completes the sequence with a somersault off the apron. Later in the match, there was a dual submission spot where Kelly locked on the killer clutch on Deanna, which is basically a cobra clutch, and then Taylor had a crossface on Masha. Masha fought free of her submission and drilled Taylor with a snowplow on top of the other two to not only break up that submission, but it also ended up getting her the pin and the win on Taylor Wilde. Raven joined the announcers on commentary for the next match. Before the match started, Gia went to interview Rich Swan, and again there was some production issues here, and the audio was out of sync, but it didn't really matter because Swan was attacked from behind by Steve Macklin, and their false count anywhere match started right away in the back. Macklin laundered Swan right into a dumpster that was back there. They ended up fighting all the way outside to street level, and Swan delivers a cutter onto the sidewalk. The fight then goes to the entrance of the parking garage, and a car is coming up the ramp and almost hits them, but they bounce each other off the car, and then Macklin spears Swan into the guardrail. The fight then spills right back into the arena and all the way to ringside. Swan hits a somersault dive off the ramp, and Macklin responds with a running Liger bomb on the floor, and then delivers a KIA, which is basically a double-arm DDT on the ramp, to finally win the match. 
Second from the top was Jonathan Gresham making his return to impact against Eddie Edwards. This match was fantastic and probably match of the night, and Edwards in particular really needed something to distance himself from the memory of that terrible honor no more angle. It almost worked up until the post-match angle, and I'll get to that in a bit. For now, let's just enjoy this beautiful match. Gresham, for some reason, reminds me so much of Ronnie Garvin. I don't know what it is, but perhaps it has something to do with him being a smaller guy that is packed full of aggression and energy and just keeps coming forward. He hit a draping cutter to Edwards off the top rope, and then Edwards just unloads on him with these vicious chops, and Gresham eventually just steps right into them, as if to say, is that all you got? Gresham misses a quebrada moonsault, and Edwards capitalizes with a blue thunderbomb, but had trouble completing the move due to the arm that had been weakened earlier in the match. And I thought Matthew Raywald, the former Aiden English, who's now a commentator, did a tremendous job of pointing that out. In fact, both announcers were really good all night. The play-by-play guy, of course, is the former Tom Phillips in WWE, now going by his real name, Tom Hannafin. Edwards follows up with a Tiger driver for a near fall, but quickly bounces back up to hit the Boston knee party to finally put Gresham away. After the match, though, the lights go out and some kind of lightning graphic appears on screen. The fans start to chant PCO and the man himself answers the call. PCO is back. As the last time we saw him, he was being buried in the desert in an angle with Edwards a few months ago. He starts spitting sand out of his mouth, which was a nice touch, and then starts beating Edwards with a shovel. Ending the night is the last rodeo, or potential last rodeo, for Mickey James, who put her career on the line against Jordan Grace for the knockouts title. Mickey comes out with some family members, I believe, and they're doing a Native American tribal dance, and as soon as I saw this, I'm automatically thinking there's no way she's not winning the title. Jordan displays some power moves in the early going, but eventually Mickey has enough, and they just start slapping each other. Mickey hits a bulldog off the top rope for a near fall, and then has a hard time dropping Jordan with some stiff forearms, so she ends up delivering a big boot to finally get the job done. From the middle rope, Mickey hits a fez press to Jordan on the ramp. Jordan fires back with a superplex into the ring and then rolls right through into a jackhammer for two. Mickey responds with a spinning crescent kick and then the Mick DT but only gets two and starts showing some signs of frustration. Jordan then loads Mickey up on her shoulders and drives her face first into the buckle. Mickey eventually fights free and sends Jordan into the post. She then hits a massive Tornado DDT for the final three count, and Mickey James wins the title and keeps her career alive. This was such a well-told story and probably the best way to end the night. Mickey's family, including Tara, then joined her in the ring to celebrate. I didn't have a problem with this, but considering the importance of this match, I'd have probably gone all out with pyro and confetti and all that. The whole works. But what they did wasn't bad. So that was Impact, ladies and gentlemen. I will be back next week to review the UFC 283 event and also talk all about the Royal Rumble with my predictions and fantasy forecast for the next pay-per-view, Elimination Chamber, in February. Until then, I leave you with an A-B-C-Y-A.